healthy identities are based on God's view of us. How He sees us should be what defines us. This is the fourth message in the series, Reasons to Believe. This message is entitled, I Believe Because of the Lives He Changed. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. As I said, we've been involved in this series entitled, Reasons to Believe, and how we are to have confidence in Jesus. And I want to talk this weekend about the confidence we can have in Jesus because of the very fact that Jesus is the one that changes lives. Jesus is the great life changer. It's very important what you believe. Your beliefs really do make a difference in how you live your life. A belief is not just something that has no consequence to it. Your beliefs have consequences. Your belief will lead you to certain behavior. You will live a certain way based upon your belief system. In fact, one of the best ways to know what someone believes is by looking at how they live. Your life is really a mark of what your beliefs truly are. And in the Gospel of John, John, this Gospel writer, lays out for us reasons to believe. John is the fourth gospel, the very last gospel that was written somewhere in the early 90s AD, and so it was about 60 years or so after Jesus had been crucified and risen from the grave. Three other gospel accounts already existed, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're sort of a, a, a synopsis, if you will, synoptic. They flow together. They communicate the life and ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. But nevertheless, as John became an old man, he's the last apostle that is living. Everyone else is now dead. Everyone else is gone. Many have been martyred for their faith. And John feels moved by the Holy Spirit to include one more gospel account. Matthew has written his gospel primarily to the Jews, to to promote and to communicate that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Mark has written his gospel primarily focused upon the Romans, so that the Romans in that, that society of that day would have understood that Jesus was a Messiah, a savior for them as well. Luke has written his gospel with the primary focus of the Greeks or the Gentiles so that they would also have an awareness that Jesus loved and cared for them. And so not only did Jesus come to communicate to the Jews, but to the Romans and to the Gentiles and then through the ages to us as well, because all of those three gospels are very contemporary. They still tell us the story of Jesus. But nevertheless, John says, I need to write one more gospel. There's something else God wants to say to the world, and I've prompted John is feeling by the Holy Spirit to give one more gospel, and so he's the old man. He is now living in a world that is absent of the other apostles, and he's, he's about to die very soon himself. He's already gone to the Isle of Patmos and suffered for his own sake, uh, for the sake of the gospel himself, and gave us the book of Revelation, but he feels, I need to write one more gospel account. He's moved by the Spirit, and the reason that he wants to give us this one more gospel is really wrapped up in two verses that he shares with us in the 20th chapter of his gospel account. There are 21 chapters. He comes to the 21st chapter, or the 20th chapter, I should say, and he says, let me tell you what motivated me to give you this gospel. Jesus performed many other signs, we talked about that last weekend, and the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, in this particular gospel account. But these are written, I wrote these, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, what's again the word here? Believing, you may have life in his name. In these two verses, you find the word believe and the word believing. And so this is a very, very key word to John. 
He uses it quite a bit in his gospel account. In the 21 chapters, you see him talking about believe and believing over and over again. But as I've mentioned in this series, every time that John uses the word believe or believing, it is never used as a noun. It's never used as something someone possesses. That's what a noun is. I have faith. I have belief as though you put a thing in your pocket or a thing that you put on the shelf somewhere. It says, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Every time he uses the word believe or believing in the Greek language, he uses it in the verb form. It's a verb. It's an action word. John says, I, I'm writing these things so you'll have something that, that affects the way you live. I don't want you to have a faith that is just sitting somewhere in your life. I want you to have a faith that is moving you towards something. It's changing the way you think. It's changing the way that you live. And so he lays out for us in these 21 chapters, and by the way, I would really encourage you to read through the Gospel of John if you haven't done so recently. It's very easy to do. One chapter a day for 21 days, and you've gone through the entire book, and it's a wonderful book to renew your faith, to revive yourself in terms of the ministry of Jesus from John's written perspective, a very unique kind of gospel that he gave us. And so John lays out reasons to believe, not reasons to have some kind of faith that you put in your pocket somewhere lay up on a shelf somewhere, but a kind of faith that moves you to action, that causes you to be a different kind of person. And one of the things that's very interesting in the Gospel of John is that John's always bringing people into the, for, into the forefront. It's like he's pushing people out into the front of the stage and says, look at this person. I want you to see what Jesus did for them. And then he'll bring another person and push them to the forefront and say, look at this person. Look at what Jesus did for them. And so he gives us individual pictures, individual perspectives of people who had their lives radically changed by Jesus. And so what I want to do this weekend is I want to share with you six of those examples Six of those people that John pushes to the forefront and says, look at these people. These are the people. You can believe in Jesus because I want you to see what Jesus did for that person and 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 that person. Six examples tonight of what Jesus did for six individuals and how Jesus can change and does change our lives. The first thing I want to share with you this weekend is that we understand that Jesus changes lives by giving people a new identity. And there's a particular person that we'll see in this story who received a new identity. Before I talk about this person, let me talk about this phrase, identity, for a moment. Your identity is how you view you. What is my identity? You carry around with you some form of identification. If you go to uh, cash a check or you try to find your way into a particular environment, they're going to ask you for some kind of identification. And that identification is linked to your identity. Who are you? But identity is not just a matter of a picture on a little card somewhere, an address where you live. But your identity really is stronger than that. It really has to do with how you view you on the inside. And you carry yourself through life, not just by a card that you present somewhere and say, yeah, that's me. No, you have a picture of you that affects how you live. And our identities in life are very, very fragile. 
A person's identity can be broken and, and, and made very dysfunctional by, by the slightest thing, sometimes by a parent that will say something without even meaning to that might scar a child's identity or a teacher in a classroom might say something just in a moment that might just be something that affects that child's perception of themselves or a coach on a, an athletic team may say something that can affect the view that little child has about them and they may carry that with them through their entire life unless they receive some kind of healing, some kind of restoration. And there are all kinds of things that affect our identity. And no one goes through life because we're living in a broken world. No one goes through life with the right, perfect identity that Jesus wants you to have for you. Every single person in this place this weekend and watching online, you and I, we all have some dimension of a broken identity. There have been some things that have happened in all of our lives that have twisted our identity. Have you ever gone to one of those carnivals where they have the, 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 the kind of weird mirrors and you stand in front of them and you look a lot fatter than you really are, okay? I mean, you know you're, you're big enough, but boy, this mirror really makes you look uh, really, really big or it makes you look really, really short or it makes you look really tall and you're looking into a mirror, but what you're seeing is not the real you. What you're seeing is a distorted perspective of you. And so many of us are going through life and we're looking into the mirror of people in our lives and we're seeing and reflecting back to us a distorted perspective of who we are from God's perspective. And that's the problem because most of us have formed our identity not based upon what God says about us, but based upon what other people say about us. That's why you and I are so concerned about what are they saying about me? What did they say? What did they, how did they view me? And so we live all of our lives many times trying to please other people, trying to be acceptable to other people because we, we, we're worried about our identity. We're taking our identity from other people and we may even shape our behavior to try to get the approval of other people so that we can supplement or strengthen that vulnerability we feel on the inside called our identity. But I want you to know that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he comes in to bring you a brand new identity. Not just one that's based upon what people say, but an identity that's based upon what God says about you. Now, let me introduce you to the person that John introduces us to in John chapter 1. And you know him as Peter. He's not initially known as Peter. He's initially known by another name. Here's the story in John chapter, chapter 1, verse 41 and 42. Notice what happens here. Andrew was Simon Peter's brother, and so Andrew had met Jesus. And so the first thing that Andrew did after he met Jesus, he went and he told his brother Peter about him. So let's read the story here. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have, we have found the Messiah. To find his brother, what is his name? Simon. Okay, let's stop right there. What is his name? Simon. Simon. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought, that is Andrew, brought who? Simon to Jesus. So say it with me. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Once again, if you will, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. Who did he look at? Simon. Okay, so you got the picture here. So here's the first experience, the first uh, uh, account that we have in the Bible of Peter and Jesus or Simon and Peter or Simon and Jesus having their initial encounter. 
So now Andrew has brought his brother Simon to Jesus, and now in this moment, Jesus looks at Simon and notice what he says to him. You are, you are Simon, son of John, but I love what Jesus does there. He says, you will be called Right there, the first time that Jesus meets Simon, he changes his name. And when he changes his name, if you change your name, you better change your identification. Because you will not make it through the airport unless you have a name that reflects who you really are. So here in this moment, the very first encounter that Jesus has with Simon, he says, I see you, Simon, you're son of John, but I see something different for your life. And the very first thing that Jesus addressed in Simon's life was his identity. We'll see later that Simon's identity was as a fisherman. He called him from being a fisherman of fish to a fisherman of men. And so all that begins to change. But what I want you to see is this statement, you are, but you will be. Notice that you are. But you will be. Aren't you glad that when Jesus comes into your life, somebody needs to get ready to say an amen right here. That when Jesus comes into your life, he sees what you are, but he also sees what you will be. He sees right where you are right now, but he says, I I see you. You're, you're, You're Simon, you're son of John, but I also see what you will be. And in fact, in that moment, he prophesied to Simon and said, you're going to be called Cephas. Now, I don't have time because I got five more people to talk about tonight, but I want to give you the understanding. The word Cephas means Peter or a rock. I see who you are. You're born of a natural environment. You're, son of, you're the son of John, Simon. But I'm telling you what, you're going to be a rock in the kingdom. Now, it took a while for Peter to get to his rock status. Would you agree with me? He had a few ups and downs in the process, but he finally makes it to that place where he becomes this rock that Jesus has called him to be. Now, what I want you to see tonight, this weekend, is that if you are a follower of Jesus then Jesus wants to, just like he did for Simon, he wants to impart to you a new identity. He wants you to know that he sees you differently than you see yourself. And he sees you differently than even other people see you. He wants you to understand some things about how he sees you. He sees you as a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. He sees you as his child. You are a child of Almighty God. So wonderful. That's our identity. We're now in his family. He sees you as a member of God's family, not just his child, but you're, you're actually in the fold. You can be a child and out there somewhere not connected to the family, but you're a vital member of the family of God. He sees you as a temple of the Holy Spirit. He loved you so much and brought you into his family so he could put his Holy Spirit down inside of you. Dear believer, I want you to know this weekend that the very spirit of all Almighty God lives inside of you, that when you're breathing, when you're living your life, the Spirit of God, where you go, He goes with you. You, That's your identity. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that, yes, God calls you a saint. You're not an ain't. You're a saint. 
And so many of us have been convinced that there's not much to our lives and there's no value to our lives. But yes, you know, we, we often think of the word saint as being something that is set aside for particular people that do miracles or special things. No, the Bible says you're saints. In fact, many times the scripture refers to us as the saints of God and a priesthood of God. And so that we belong to the family, yes, and the Holy Spirit's in us. But the word saint means sanctified. You've been sanctified by God. You're seen as a part of not only his family, but one who's been saved sanctified by him. And you are an overcomer. I want you to know today that Jesus says that the world doesn't have to trample on you. You don't have to submit as a victim to the things of this world. You can rise and become a victor and an overcomer in in your life as you walk and live with Jesus. This is your identity. The, The deeper this gets inside of you, the more of a change will happen in your behavior. I promise you that when you begin to live as a new creation, you begin to think of yourself as a child of God, you begin to remember that I'm a member of God's family, you begin to understand that everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit is with me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm a saint of God, and I am an overcomer, an overcomer in Jesus Christ. I promise you it will change the way you live your life. Listen to Revelation 3, verse 12, the words of Jesus himself. The one who is victorious, to the, uh, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. These are the words of Jesus. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name. What does he say? I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on them my new name. I want you to know, my goodness, that if you're a follower of Jesus, he wrote his name on you. His name is tattooed on your heart. You belong to him. So valuable to remember. Number two, need to move through these quickly. The second thing, Jesus satisfies people's deepest needs. That's how he changes lives. He changes lives by changing your identity. He changes lives by satisfying the deepest needs of our lives. Many people, many, many people live out, live their lives out of pain. Pain is their motivating factor. They're living every day to survive, and it's the pain that keeps them. They just live out of their pain. It's the perpetual thing that is the common denominator of their life. They're always living in pain. It drives them and oftentimes dictates to them very bad decisions. Because they're living in pain, they make a lot of bad decisions with their life because they're living it out of their pain. And when you've gone through life, especially experiencing a huge amount of disappointment, trying to find your deepest needs being met in various places, and you continually come up dry, I promise you what happens is that pain of disappointment goes very deep into your soul. And often you'll become cynical, you'll get to the place where it feels as though you're just, things are helpless and hopeless for your life. That's where we find another person introduced to us by John. It's in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and it's a story of a lady who was at a well when Jesus has a conversation with her. And so 
It's a Samaritan woman, and so normally Jews would not have a conversation with a, with a Samaritan, but Jesus goes to what's known as Jacob's well in a place called Sychar, and he goes there, and he sits down by the well, and the lady comes up to draw some water, and Jesus engages her in a conversation and begins to talk to her about her life and what kind of uh, a past she has, and he asks her a question in the midst of this about her husband, and, and in the midst of this moment, she, she feels kind of a, a bit ashamed about her life because she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus responds back, well, that, that you've just told me the truth. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. And so that was a, a real moment of recognition. We talked a bit about that last weekend, how there was this supernatural wisdom that Jesus had in meeting this lady. But what I want you to see this weekend is the need of this lady. Why has she been married five times, and why was she living with someone that was not even her husband at this moment? Because she had gone through relationship after relationship after relation, five marriages trying to find love. Five marriages, and now with someone else that she didn't want to risk having a commitment to because she wasn't sure that that was going to provide her. She, I believe, in fact, if you note the conversation that she has with Jesus, she's a little bit cynical in the way that she deals with this conversation with Jesus in the moment because she's hurt, she's broken, she's lived life at a very empty well, and that's why Jesus begins to say to her, you've come to draw some water out of that well, but if you knew who I was, you'd ask for some living water. You'd ask for some water that can satisfy something in you that's never, ever been satisfied before. And there in that moment, this lady begins to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, and notice what happens. Chapter 4, verse 28, then leaving her water jar. I like that. What did she come to the water? What did she come to the well to get? Water. What did she leave the well without? Her water jar. Why? Because she had found living water. Amen? Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could, could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Dear ones, I want you to know that Jesus is the one that can satisfy the deepest needs in a person's life. He can change your identity and he can satisfy your deepest personal needs. Let's go to the third person that we're looking at. Jesus restores people's lost hopes and dreams. This is very similar in some ways of what we just talked about, but a different set of circumstances and a different person. In this story, we're going to see the person who's had not only painful disappointments in his life, but also painful disappointments that have existed for an ex extremely long period of time. See, it's one thing if you're kind of young in life and trying to find your way and things aren't going all so well for you. Maybe you feel like, eventually I'll work it out. But this man had tried to work it out over and over again. His story is found in John chapter 5, and it happens at a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And at the Pool of Bethesda, there were all kind of sick people there. Those of you who have traveled to Israel will know that we will always go to the Pool of Bethesda and take a look. It actually exists there in Israel today, and the ruins are there, and you can see something of what that would have looked like. And this man was lying around the Pool of Bethesda, and what would happen was in the waters of the pools, according to the tradition, there would be an angel that would come down from time to time and stir up the waters there in the pools, and, and, and the first person to get into the water after the angel had stirred up the waters would 
experience healing. And so all around this, this massive area of the five covered colonnades that were there, all around this, was, was this were, were sick people, people who were trying to get well. And here was this man who had been that way for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and says, Sir, do you want to get well? And he communicates back to Jesus. I don't have time this weekend to read the, to, to read the passage for you. You can read it on your own in, in, in John chapter 5. But there's this conversation, brief conversation, where the man says, well, Jesus, in essence, I'm going to paraphrase here, you don't really understand. I've tried to get in the water a bunch of times, and every time I try to get in the water, somebody else gets in front of me. And so basically, I kind of, I'm not even trying anymore. You're asking me, do I want to get well? I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and nothing has worked. It's 38 years now. I'm getting older in this process. I don't think it's ever going to happen for me. And Jesus just scoots right past his excuse and says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And there in that moment, this man found strength as he got up from his mat, he began to walk, and as he walked, he found himself strengthened and healed. Why? Because his life had been restored, his lost hopes and lost dreams had been restored by Jesus. Dear one, I want to tell you this weekend, please listen. Whether you've lost your identity or you're not sure who you are in Christ, you can recover your identity. Whether you've gone through this situation of life looking for the satisfaction of your needs, I promise you Jesus can give you water that you don't know of, that can satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. And Jesus can come along and he can restore the lost hopes and lost dreams of your life, even if it's been almost four decades or five decades or so many years that you wonder, will it ever happen to me? I want you to know this same Jesus that did it for this man will do it for you. We read it recently. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The fourth thing, Jesus frees people from a guilt-ridden past. Now John's going to bring another person into the forefront. He's going to highlight somebody else's testimony. But before I introduce this person to you, let me tell you a little bit about the background of this, this statement here. Jesus frees people from a guilt-ridden past. There are a lot of things that can cripple your life. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about just cripple you in your soul, can cripple you on the inside. And from my experience over the years of ministry and just my own experiences of life as well, I will tell you there's nothing that can cripple you like guilt and shame will. I don't know how many people are living a less life because somewhere they've been convinced because something happened in their life or some failure took place in their life that they're never going to be qualified for or have an opportunity for something else in their life. And what it does, the devil loves to just piggyback on that and just ride you like crazy and tell you this is never, you don't have a future. There's no future for you. And so what happens when, when, when guilt and shame begins to work its way into your soul, you begin to experience a self-hatred and self-disgust, and you, you become your own worst enemy, and you start even sabotaging the very successes of your own life because this guilt and shame shuts you down on the inside. It shuts you out of your future. I tell you, there, there are literally millions of people around the world today, they're, they're shut out of their future because of, of a guilt-ridden past of shame in their life. 
They're hopelessly stuck in their guilt. They're hopelessly stuck in their shame. They may be physically alive, but they're emotionally dead because of the shame and guilt in their life. And it works its way out in many different fashions that we don't have time to talk about this weekend. But I will tell you something, when you live in guilt and shame, it's a sad way to live. It's really not living at all. And I want you to know that Jesus loves to free people from the guilt-ridden past. He loves to do that. And there's this wonderful story in John chapter 8, and we've been talking a little bit about it in this series. I'm going to bring it back to your attention again. Some of these are repeat stories, but doesn't hurt for us to repeat them again. Remember these stories because they're given to us for a reason, so that we'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John said, I didn't tell you all the stories, but the ones I told you, I told you so you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the story is of the lady caught in the act of adultery. And she's dragged into the presence of Jesus by all these religious guys, these Pharisees, Pulls, she's pulled into the presence of Jesus and thrown at his feet. You know the story, John chapter 8. We talked about it last week, and I believe it was. And there she is in this moment of complete humiliation. Complete humiliation. By the way, where was the guy? They didn't drag him in there. But they dragged the woman into the situation, and there's the, there's the shame, and there's the the embarrassment, there's the humiliation that she's experiencing. And not only is she experiencing it because there's a crowd around and there's Jesus. And, and, and now these, these Pharisees are there as well, looking all self-righteous and all religious. And they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. The law says to stone her. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with her, Jesus? And of course, we talked about how Jesus knelt down on the ground and began to write in the dust, and how I believe that that was an identification of their sins, and so one by one, they began to walk away. And finally, it's just Jesus and the woman and whatever crowd was left around, or maybe perhaps the disciples that were still there at that moment. Obviously, someone saw this story because they recorded it for us, and John most likely was there and remembered the story. That's why he includes it. He's the only gospel writer that includes this particular story. And notice what happens here in John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. I want you to see a beautiful picture of Jesus right now. I want you to see the beautiful Savior that we serve. Jesus straightened up. He got up from his place on the ground and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, what a precious question that was, right? Because all of her condemners had now gone away, correct? They were not there anymore. So Jesus is bringing her tenderly to a moment of forgiveness and redemption. Has no one condemned you? One translation says, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Who is condemning you? And I can only imagine what a great statement that was. No one, sir, she said. All those other accusers have gone but who's the one that's still left with her? Who? Jesus. So she's got a question in her mind as to what's going to happen next because is he going to treat me the way they were going to treat me or I'm still, you know, it's not quite done here yet, okay? They're all gone. And Jesus quickly assures her, neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now. 
Everybody say, go now. Come on, say it again. What's the first word? What is it? Get up and go now and leave your life of sin. Or one translation says, go your way and sin no more. There in that moment, this lady found redemption and forgiveness. And I hope that you tonight can find, or this weekend will find, whether you're watching online or here on site, that if you've had something that's been trailing you, dogging you, hounding you, in the realm of your guilt or shame for, for years or months or decades, that tonight Jesus wants you to know that he did not come to condemn you. He came to help you. In John 3, 16, this is not in my notes, but I want to give it to you tonight. You know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Most of us stop there. But you have to add verse 17 to understand the whole context of what Jesus was saying. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. That's a very precious addition and understanding to that promise. John writes about this promise of forgiveness in 1 John, one of his letters. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm telling you this so that you'll stay away from sin. But if you sin, aren't you glad that's in there? This is our charge. This is what we're supposed to be doing. But we don't always do what we're supposed to be doing, correct? Right? Okay, come on. Let's be truthful here, okay? So that you will stay away from sin. But if you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. You have an attorney. His name is, what is his name? The one who is all, who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God. And he is, he is the forgiveness for our sins and not only ours, but for all the world. Boy, don't we have a good news message to receive and a good news message to preach. I need to move quickly to these last two points. Jesus helps people overcome life's adversities. I'm going to cover this very quickly. Now John brings another person to the spotlight. Are you seeing all these people walking up, giving their stories? Here comes a one, two, three, four. We're in the fifth one now. The fifth one is found in John chapter 9. It's a story of a man who had some, some misfortune in his life. He's a man who's, who's had some adversity, and I think all of us can identify with some misfortunes, some adversities. Life is not easy, and life is unfair sometimes. Can I get an amen? amen? You don't always get life like you want it. It doesn't come in a beautiful package. Sometimes you have some ugly stuff that just comes your way, and this man had that kind of experience. He had been born blind. He had faced that adversity in his life, and, and so the disciples 
that Jesus and his disciples meet this man who has been born blind, and his disciples start asking Jesus some questions. Hey, Jesus, who sinned that caused this man to be born blind? So they wanted to, 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 to bring the, 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 the problem, his physical problem, in connection with somebody's sin. Who sinned that this man was born blind? Did, did he sin, or was it his parents? See, there are a lot of folks that are always trying to find somebody to blame, right? So they're trying to find some blame here. Who sinned? And I want you to notice what Jesus does here. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash and the pool of Siloam, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. We don't know his name, but what you see in this story is you see that Jesus takes somebody's misfortune and turns it into the glory of God. There's somebody here this weekend and somebody watching online right now that you've had some misfortune in your life. Life hasn't treated you fairly. But I want you to know that's not the end of the story. You might say, well, why did this happen? Who sinned? Who messed up? Why did I experience this in my life? But God wants to remind you this weekend of the very fact that it's not about who messed up or who sinned. Life is unfair. But God is able to take his works and transform something that is a misfortune into your life and make it a miracle in your life. Amen. Something that is a misfortune in your life and transform it into a miracle. That was a pretty weak applause, but that's okay. We got one more point to make, all right? That's, now you got. <laughs> I, I wasn't fishing for that, but uh, that was all right, okay? Here we go. Last point Jesus revives people's lost faith. Wow. You ever struggle with your faith? You ever had to battle with doubts? Have you ever been in a place where you wonder how? Maybe I, maybe I just don't have the faith at all anymore. It's kind of gone. I want you to know that Jesus has the answer for that because in John's gospel, he brings to us another picture of a man who was struggling with his faith. None of the other gospel accounts record this for us. He was on the platform a few moments ago. His name was Thomas. And you know the story that Jesus appeared to his disciples in an upper room after his resurrection and Thomas was so disoriented and so discouraged and so depressed after Jesus' crucifixion that he didn't even come to church. You ever been in that place? So does God. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to church this weekend. By the way, <laughs> always under, understand that if you miss church, you miss an opportunity to see Jesus, okay? Because Jesus came to the room that, week, that weekend when he was there, and he showed up, but Thomas wasn't there, okay? So Thomas didn't get the blessing. Thomas missed the opportunity to see the risen Savior, and so they start telling Thomas later, hey, Thomas, we saw the Lord. He's alive. And Thomas said, no, no, I am never going to believe unless I see him myself. My faith is gone. I don't have any belief in this anymore. I'm not believing what you say unless I see it. In fact, unless I take my finger and touch his hands and his side, I'm not even going to believe. The next week, he decided to go to church. And when he was there in church the next week, notice what happens. Jesus comes again to that environment. Because he knew Thomas was there that day. I'm glad that Jesus shows up in the places he knows where we are.
to help us in whatever we're facing in our life. And so here's Jesus. He comes up, and there's Thomas. I can only imagine what's going on right now in that room. And then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here and, and, and see my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas was so transformed that day by the presence of Jesus that not only did he have his doubts removed, but he became a flaming evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church tradition tells us that at some point Thomas made his way to what we know to be modern day India. And he preached the gospel there. If you go to India today, from what I understand, there's a lot of Thomases running around because they like to name their kids after Thomas because Thomas was the evangelist that went to the Far East, went to India. He died in India, according to church tradition. And he died being stabbed by a spear. Isn't that amazing? He was martyred being stabbed by a spear. At least that's what church tradition tells us. And I can only imagine that in the moment when that was about to happen to Thomas, he remembered the time that he touched Jesus' side where the spear had been. And he knew he was in good company. He knew he was going to be okay. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is able, he's well able, to come to you in your doubting moments and bring faith and revive faith in you again. What have we learned about him this weekend? We have reason to believe in Jesus because he changes lives. He gives people a new identity. He satisfies people's deepest needs. He's the Savior who restores people's lost hopes and dreams. He's the one that frees people from a guilt-ridden past. He's the one that helps people overcome life's adversities and misfortunes. He's the one who revives people's lost faith. Would you bow your heads together with me? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had during this service to focus on the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I believe that something that's been said this weekend is, is, is what someone needed to hear. Probably at some point, all of us needed something during this, week, this message. And I pray that hope and faith and confidence would arise. And I pray that we would remember that John wrote these things so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, we'll have life in His name that we thank you in Jesus name Amen I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life would you pray with me right now right where you are just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you so let's pray together start by simply whispering the name Jesus let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name say Jesus I know that that I am a sinner that I have fallen short with you I'm sorry for all of my sins Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. 
I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.